Welcome to this podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. It publishes original research and topical reviews on basic and clinical aspects of gastrointestinal sensation and motility, as well as brain-gut interaction. Welcome to this month's podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. My name is Adam Farman. I'm a gastroenterologist at the Wingate Institute of Neurogastroenterology at Barts and the London School of Medicine in London in the UK. This month is my great pleasure to welcome Professor Adil Barucha from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, USA. Adil is one of the true pioneers of the investigation and management of anorectal disorders. So Adil, many thanks for joining us on the podcast this month. Uh, congratulations to you and your co-authors on your paper entitled Normal Values for Assessment of Anal Sphincter Morphology, Anorectal Motion and Pelvic Organ Prolapse with MRI in Healthy Women. Adam, as you and our other readers and listeners recognize, many constipated patients have a defecatory disorder. It's important to recognize and diagnose a defecatory disorder because these conditions are more appropriately treated with pelvic floor biofeedback therapy uh, rather than with, with laxatives. So the anorectal tests are necessary for diagnosing defecatory disorders because symptoms and a digital rectal exam cannot accurately discriminate between defecatory disorders and other causes for constipation. Fortunately, we have a variety of options when it comes to anorectal tests. This includes anorectal manometry, the balloon expulsion test, defecography, either with barium or with MRI, and surface EMG in the anal canal. What one has to remember is that the methods for conducting these tests and therefore the normal values vary considerably among centers and there is no gold standard. The normal values also vary um, by age and, and sex, which is why we published our experience with normal values um, uh, with uh, MR defecography. The challenges of uh, doing these tests are obviously that, that there are limitations to replicating defecation in a test environment, and that in, in part explains why even some healthy people have patterns that you would uh, consider abnormal. What are the advantages of endoanal MRI and MR defecography over traditional measures? So as, as, as you know, MRI doesn't, uh, by contrast to barium defecography, uh, entail radiation exposure. Uh, MRI also visualizes the entire pelvic floor, that is not just the inner rectum, but also the bladder, the small bowel, and, and the uterus. And, and so you can detect prolapse affecting the bladder and uterus. You can do that with barium defecography, but it's more cumbersome because you have to add contrast to the bladder and to the vagina. In general, the measurements with MRI are more precise than they are with barium defecography. And finally, with endoanal MRI, you can also visualize the anatomy of, of the sphincters, uh, similar to what you can do with endoanal ultrasound. Uh, obviously, defecography doesn't look at the sphincters per se. The downside of, of MRI is that imaging is performed in the supine position, but the studies that have compared uh, imaging with MR defecography and with barium defecography 
haven't identified any clinically significant differences between these two tests. So perhaps for some of our listeners who are not so familiar with these procedures, uh, what's the procedure for an endoanal MRI and MR defecography? The only preparation that one requires is a small volume enema to cleanse uh, the rectum. We start by examining the sphincters with an endoanal coil, and then we add ultrasound gel to the rectum, and images are acquired at rest when patients squeeze or contract the anal sphincter and pelvic floor muscles, and then when they try and evacuate the, the gel to simulate defecation. Patients are then come out of the scanner, they go to evacuate in the toilet, and they return for more images during straining. And so to emphasize, the intrinsic signal contrast allows you to um, identify the bladder, the uterus, and all the other organs. So um, you only need to add the ultrasound gel to the rectum. So prior to your study, what were the knowledge gaps concerning anal sphincter morphology and anorectal motion in healthy subjects? Um, the normal values were, were, were based uh, on uh, several relatively small studies, um, and, and therefore they weren't uh, sufficiently uh, precise. And uh, we put together our experience with 113 um, asymptomatic uh, uh, women providing a more robust series of, of normal data. And can you tell me a little bit more about your study population? There were 113 asymptomatic women. Um, roughly half were uh, younger than 50 uh, years of age. Uh, they didn't have any major risk factors for anorectal trauma. And we uh, imaged the, the sphincters, and, and then we did the MR defecography, as, as I explained uh, earlier. And what were your key results to emanate from your study? Perhaps there were four uh, main findings. First is that the anal sphincters and puborectalis appeared normal in over 90% of women. And this is reassuring because many of the earlier studies with endoanal ultrasound uh, suggested that up to one in three women uh, develop a anal sphincter defect after vaginal delivery. Second is that the anorectal angle um, became wider or more obtuse during defecation um, as the puborectalis muscle relaxed. And conversely, it became narrower as the puborectalis muscle contracted uh, during squeeze. Third, in older people, the change in the anorectal angle during squeeze was lower, and BMI and parity also independently affected the angle at rest and the angle change during squeeze. Um, the effects of BMI uh, were different between younger and older women. And lastly, only 10% of women or less had significant prolapse of the bladder or uterus or a, a large rectocele, and only 5% had a patulous anal canal. Um, so these, again, these um, data provide normal values that uh, clinicians should find helpful as they interpret the clinical significance of MR um, defecography. 
So what were the limitations of your study? We only studied women. Um, we didn't ex exclude women who had forceps assisted or multiple deliveries because um, these risk factors are not always associated with anal sphincter uh, injury. Uh, women who had a hysterectomy um, were also included in this cohort because a hysterectomy has relatively modest effects um, and only on rectal stiffness and sensation, but not on anal resting and squeeze pressures. So what are the potential implications of your results with respect to patient management? To state the obvious, one needs normal values in order to uh, identify uh, what is abnormal. And this is particularly important since normal values are influenced by age and, and, and sex. And some findings such as rectocele are very common in older people. So not every rectocele is abnormal. Um, while older studies with endoanal ultrasound suggested that, that up to a third of asymptomatic women had sphincter defects after vaginal delivery, the prevalence was much lower in more recent studies with 3D ultrasound, and, and here it was less than 5%, which, which is reassuring. So how do your results really take the field forward? And in your view, uh, what are the key knowledge gaps that remain? They demonstrate that in addition to age, um, BMI and parity also affect anorectal functions, and obviously this is something that we, we need to study further given the obesity uh, epidemic um, uh, throughout the world. A and the key gap really is that we need a gold standard diagnostic test um, for defecatory disorders. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we have a variety of tests and often the findings amongst these tests are discrepant. So um, you could have a, a patient in whom a balloon expulsion test is normal um, but the defecography uh, suggests uh, a pelvic floor dysfunction. And so we need to sort of uh, bring these tests together. With that, I'd like to thank you and your co-authors for another excellent paper and for assisting in this month's podcast and also our listeners for tuning in. I look forward to welcoming you to another instalment of the podcast. Further next information about this paper can be found on the journal website. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to welcoming you to next month's edition.